All right, friends, I invite you to stand as a gesture of reverence for the reading of the word today. We're in John 11, verses 20 and following. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. And I see I did not change that text to John on this one, this version of it. So we are taking a pause from our Mark series to talk about Jesus and our grief. And what brings us to this point today, uh, all of us carry grief. To be human is to experience grief. Um, many of you probably have losses from your childhood or from coworkers or from family members that when I say the word grief, those things come to your mind. But what makes us want to pause today from our series in Mark to talk about grief in particular is a specific grief that this family as a church is experiencing, and that's the loss of our dear sister, Linnea Thomas. Now, some of you that are feel new here that may not know Linnea, Linnea has been a part of Common Ground forever. Uh, there are people that have been a part of Common Ground forever that said this week they don't remember a Common Ground without Linnea Thomas. She's been a part of this West plant, this West launch since 08, since it started. And um, her and her family, John and uh, Molly and Ethan, have been a part of this church uh, very consistently and faithfully this whole time. And because of their rootedness, a part of this family, uh, it's almost, we, we almost can't have a normal service without acknowledging that and giving permission and an invitation to grieve as a family. Um, yet, this grief though it is particular related to Linnea, and that's kind of the, the direction as the service will progress, uh, my inclination is that all of us are carrying grief. To be human is to be in a world where death is still present and um, its effects are still harmful and causing wounds, even though death has been defeated in principle. And we have trust in that with Jesus. And so uh, it relates to us all and how we are going to watch Jesus uh, face our grief, hold our grief, deal with our grief, and grieve with us will invite us into shared grief, which uh, our culture is really, really bad at. <laughs> we want to move past it quickly. 
Um, and, but we need to practice doing it and doing it together. As the old proverb says, shared grief is halved. Shared joy is doubled. That if you experience joy alone, it doesn't, it, it is limited. It doubles when you're together. But if you experience grief alone, it is extremely painful and shameful and isolating. If we have the courage to do it together, it can be cut in half. And Jesus kind of invites us in that. So I'm going to set us up with how Jesus enters our grief with this story. Um, and then I want to leave an open mic for you to honor Linnea um, with a story or a word of encouragement. Or, uh, and, and that will kind of wrap up our, our time during the sermon time. And then we'll head into communion as usual. But I want to invite us into there through this story from John 11 that my sister Kim brought up twice this week as she was reflecting on um, her love for Linnea and um, how Jesus meets us in this place. So I first want to notice that we resonate with Martha and Mary's outcries. If you know the story, it's their brother Lazarus that has passed away while Jesus was away. And though Jesus was away, he said to his disciples with so much certainty, hey, our friend Lazarus is asleep. He's actually dead, but don't worry about it. I'm going to go wake him up. And that can feel like a calloused dismissal of grief. But when you read this story, then once he gets to the village, it's kind of a shocking mystery how he enters into this space. But it starts out with both Martha and Mary separately coming up to Jesus. And when they first see him, it says Mary fell to her feet or fell at Jesus' feet, fell on the ground and, 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 and bowed down before him. And Martha just said plainly, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so they both, this is like a natural response to grief, though it's not natural for us to always express it. Our natural feeling is to outcry towards God and whatever we might think about him. Even if you're not a Christian, you have some outcry to the vastness behind the universe to cry out, if you had blank, this would not have happened. Now for Mary and Martha, they associate Jesus' character and power and love. They have so much confidence in it. They're like, if only you were with us, this whole outcome would be different. But for us, we are so told that God is always with us, that we have the Spirit now, and he is with us. And so when God doesn't respond to a cry, an outcry to us, a prayer to us, when he doesn't heal, it's more like if you had been blank, actually good, if you had been powerful, if you had been as loving as you said you are, our sister Linnea would not have died. And if more than maybe anyone else in this community, Linnea has probably been prayed over by this community, right? Because she battled stage four cancer for 10 years. That is a, an absolute battle. And she and her family were so persistent in requesting prayer that if you are here, you've been asked to pray for Linnea. And so there have been lots of prayers over her and with her at church, after church, in small groups. She regularly sought out prayer. And so for us now... In this community, you're like, God, if, if you had been who we think you are, who we say you are, who you say you are, our sister should not have died. This is our natural feeling, but we actually feel like we can't express it. And so we hide from the depth of that outcry and that depth of emotion. But what the story does is it drags us out of that place where we want to hide it and brings it out into the open if we have the courage to do it. Even though I've said in this passage all week, I still have found myself uh, struggling to do just that. It's, I found it really difficult to avoid distraction and really be honest about how I'm feeling before the Lord. And this story is dragging it out of me. And my prayer is that if we're together, it drags it out even more. It's really hard to do it alone, but when we're together, we can't. So let's see what Jesus actually does if we have the courage to cry out to him and say, if you had been blank, 
our sister would not have died. You could have done something about this. Why didn't you? First thing he does is he sees and empathizes with our shared grief. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. I love that emphasis on shared grief. It wasn't her alone. She had a community that wept with her, and Jesus sees that too. It says, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, and then asked, where had you laid him? Have you laid him? So he sees them weeping. He then feels a deeply troubled move in his spirit and then enters into that grief with curiosity. It reminds me of the story that we read during our series about God's love for us and our response to him, that God sees our wounds and loves us in our wounds. With Hagar in Genesis, it says that she she names him as the God who sees. You are the God who sees me. Jesus models that here by seeing and empathizing with the tears he sees these women cry and the grief that they're experiencing, even though he already has said he's going to heal him. Like, we can have both the confidence God can and will bring healing and resurrection, but first, that he doesn't do it dismissing our grief, but he sees our tears, he notices them, and is moved by them. He's not just like a powerful computer in the sky. He sees every tear cried, and he's moved by them. It reminds me of this verse from the Psalms, that you have taken account of my miseries, put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? has this vision that God sees every single tear cried. Whatever has caused you to grieve and lament and weep, you often may do that behind closed doors. You often may not want those tears seen. You often might push them away. And yet God notices every single one and remembers it as if he bottled them up and closed the bottle top. To me, that's a, a preview ahead to Revelation 21 where he says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. That first he sees that grief, and in so doing so, he affirms that it should be there. Like, we almost feel like, this is weird, I feel these feelings, I shouldn't. He's like, I notice it, and I feel it too. You're not crazy. Like, you're like, why do I cry? Death is just a part of life. It's normal. It's not normal. It is alien to God's good creation. And so he sees the grief too, and even if he knows he's going to conquer it, he says he feels it with us. But he not only sees and empathizes with our grief, He crosses all the way over to join us in that grief. They said, come and see, Lord, they replied, and it says, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. You can memorize that, and you've accomplished a memory verse for the day. Two words, perfect. But what I notice in it is that he not only, even though he's confident, my friend Lazarus is dead, we're going to go there and wake him up. We're going to go there and arise him from his slumber. He gets there, notices a raw human emotion, feels moved by it, and then expresses curiosity to go see what it is they're weeping about and then joins with them in it. That's full solidarity. It is not a noticing a grief from afar, but he's affirming that it's real and valid and should happen and then moves and joins them in there to weep. And they notice just that fact that he can see their grief and feel it with them that uh, is a sign of his love for them. And Isaiah prophesied about the, uh, the willingness of the Lord to share our grief when it says this, he, the one, the Messiah that would save us, was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. This is the Lord we serve. He's not a concrete block in the sky. He's not callous. He's not hardened. It feels that way when a prayer is not answered, when a loss is endured, 
but he is a man of deep sorrows. He's acquainted with the deepest grief. And Hebrews 2 says that he has shared in our humanity and our suffering in every way. The grief you experience is a grief that he notices, a grief that he uh, is moved by, a grief that then he crosses over the threshold from God to humanity to join us with and sit in with us. But it's not just a solidarity that might come with the human. I mean, so far, humans can do this. We can notice grief. We can join in it, too. You see someone crying, you cry, too. But he not only does that, he promises to bring full healing to it. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's assuring that whatever death and loss is experienced in this world does not belong here. It did not originate from him. It is not core to our reality. It is not fundamental to our reality. It is not the last word of our reality. It is a horrendous enemy that has inserted itself into God's good world that one day will be totally eliminated. And all tears that were shed are going to be wiped away. All death that has come will be restored back to life because he himself is the resurrection of life, the one who has seen our grief, been acquainted with our sorrows, joined in them in solidarity to cry too, promises he's going to make it right one day. And it's not only a promise, a word that we hope may be fulfilled, it's a promise that he ultimately does fulfill. So Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And so this Lord not only sees the grief and notices it, crosses over the threshold to join and experience it with us, makes a promise that death will never have the last word, your tears won't have the last word, but rather he will have the last word and resurrect him back to life, but then he actually acts on his word and does it. Now we all know the story of Lazarus. I'm sure he died one day. Like this was not his permanent reality. The one he called out from the tomb, he eventually died again. But that story is a microcosm of what the Lord will do for us all. It is a promise that he displayed in the moment in Lazarus' life that he now looks forward to to the end. And so as I always say with Linnea, when we would pray for her often, and when I would talk to John and Linnea in my small group uh, all the time, is that we know God can heal Linnea, that he will heal her. It's a matter of when. And we have great frustration that it wasn't on our timing. But the healing is sure, it is certain, it is real, it is everlasting, it's a matter of when. And God has chosen to wait until the last day to raise her back to life. And why he chooses to heal some and not others, we cannot make sense of. Why he lets some pass early and others not, there's no answer to the why that will ever satisfy us. But what we have is a promise from the Lord that he acted on by becoming a human being, by crossing that terrible threshold into human life, entering into our grief entirely, being acquainted with those sorrows deeply from his very core, joining us in the very emotion we feel that is raw and isolating and real and painful and excruciating that we want to like crawl out of our body not to experience. He felt that too in every way, only to pull us back out and raise us to new life. Do we have the courage, he says, do you believe this, to wait on him and trust him that he actually will? 
And sometimes the day-to-day experience of that grief is so overwhelming that it makes it almost impossible to do that. But if we can hold on and trust him, he can enter into that space and give us joy even while we wait. And to me, that whole process then would encourage us to share our grief together. It's a statement of faith, even if we don't feel like it, to make ourselves share our grief, not just about Linnea, but any grief we have, but to experience that out loud together as a way to trust that the Lord will hear those cries. There's a way we do that every week in our prayer time where I say, anything else on your heart, cry before the Lord. It benefits everybody for you to cry out to the Lord in front of people. And so the same thing is what we'll do now with Linnea. And we do this for her because she's been such a rooted part of this community for so long. And we've all prayed. I mean, I've only been a part of this community for three years. But I can tell right off the gate that, we've, that this community has prayed for this woman a lot. A lot. And for us to now have to grieve that the prayers were not answered how we wanted them to be is, is extremely painful and will challenge all of our faith. And if you've not experienced the challenge of faith, that will come. But a way to push through it is to do it together with community. And so I'm now going to leave space for open mic time that if you that know Linnea, the new Linnea, want to offer a story to honor her or just share a word of encouragement for the family or for the community, um, we welcome that. And if there are spaces of silence while we're doing that, um, the Lord meets us in our silence, and silence is pretty normal for grief. (laughs) If you've experienced that, we have no words, but the Lord groans with us on our behalf. And so uh, I'm going to leave space for us to honor Linnea, share words of encouragement, and grieve together. And then we will close that time with communion and a communal prayer per usual. Molly, uh, Joanna, and I have been reflecting and mourning this week with you. And what I've been thinking of is that God has been glorified, was glorified in her life, and God was honored in, in, in her death. And the reason I have come to that thought is because ever since I have known Linnea, she has made me think about and reflect on Jesus. Many years ago, first moving to Indianapolis, uh, we were together. John remembers. And she would always come up to me telling stories how my son, who's now 21, was a little boy and watered your flowers and I think killed them. (laughs) And she would always laugh and remind me of that and when Joanna and I first started coming to CG West, she embodied and exemplified grace to a man who had been through some brokenness and some hardship, but demonstrated open, open hands of love. And you too, John. And we hosted a, a small group for a while, and a few, uh, few folks came, and Every week, you would come faithfully and 
and she would uh, engage and ask questions and be uh, just committed to uh, helping all of us be kind of stirred to love and to good deeds. And I remember that vividly. And in the times here, the last year, couple of years, I've just had these images of her uh, here in this corporate gathering, uh, knowing the story, seeing her uh, passionately uh, sing and worship Jesus. So just a few stories, love you, and uh, we're with you. Joel, <laughs> by far. Um, John, Ethan, and Molly in this congregation, I just feel so blessed to have known Linnea, your mom. Two things. One, um, a lot of people don't know, maybe read in the obituary, that Linnea was a music therapist. And I will never forget her coming into the classroom and engaging the children in our classroom. And I think I think Barrett and Will were in that classroom, little guys. And the enthusiasm and the passion that she brought to that were amazing. She loved children. She loved you guys so much. And the second story I have is about Linnea's extreme wonderful ability to love others no matter what was going on in her own life. So the last time that I got to speak with her was when we prayed for her, I'm sorry, on December the 19th. And after we got done praying, Linnea said to me, how sunny. That to me encompassed the love that she had for um, fellow believers and all. Um, she was amazing. And John and Ethan and Molly, you were loved beyond belief by your wife and your mom. I wish I could give more words than that. But I want you to know that we are here for you. Our family is here for you. This family, it's an amazing family, is here for you. So I don't really know what I'm going to say, but um, I've always had an amazing affinity for Linnea. I mean, we go back to before she and John were married. We were in a growth group. That's what they called them then together. Um, I'm kind of difficult to get to know. I just don't bond with that many people. Maybe a few of you have kind of noticed that about me. <laughs> but I've always felt this affinity for her. Um, I'm not, I've always actually kind of like, why do I have this affinity for this person? And I think it's, 
I mean, I still kind of puzzle over that. Um, and she just had this spirit, this, this personality that's kind of a composite of all these attributes of these great souls that I've known, whether they were like grandparents, family, mentors. She just had this, she knew life, you know, and she knew, she questioned God at times. And I mean, if anybody had a right, <laughs> had earned a right to do that, um, certainly she had. Um, and so I just, I've always just thought she was just an amazing soul. Um, and I, I don't know if, you know, Ethan, Molly, I don't know if you guys get this yet. I get that if you don't, I'm just like, yeah, that's my mom. I think as you, as you get older, you might become more aware of this sort of thing, but she was amazing. Um, I guess that's, that's it. been at this family for just five years and three years ago this month had some time alone with the Lord and um, I heard him very clearly say call Lania and ask her to pray for the church with you you know how sometimes you just kind of ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit and you disregard I'm so thankful that I didn't do that because Linnea and I um, and Joe and Amy and Robin and Adam sometimes have been getting together Monday through Fridays for three years, praying for you and John and Molly and Ethan. Your mom pray for you regularly and for the rest of you. She prayed for the elders and for Anthony and Chelsea and the, the kids. She prayed for all the mission people, just for everything. And her heart was just always for people to know Jesus. And she, God taught me so much through her because here she is suffering with cancer. And even as she's on hospice the last week, she is still dialing in. Like we have FaceTime. She still picks up her phone every day. And even on Friday before she passed. And sometimes she was so tired, you'd think she was sleeping. And then all of a sudden you'd hear these sweet little voice pipe up. And she'd be praying for someone else. And I, on that Friday, said, I'll see you on Monday. And picking up my phone on Monday morning to make that prayer call at 8.15 was so, so hard. I loved your mom, your wife, Linnea. She's such a sister in Christ and such a beautiful friend. And I am so thankful for these last three years that I've gotten to pray on a regular basis with her. But on Monday mornings, we pray for the, one of the values of Common Ground West, which is encountering God. And when the, we started praying, and it said encountering God, like, she is encountering God like we could never even imagine what it was like. And so for that, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful that she said yes. And she taught me that we serve the Lord through prayer. 
till our last breath. join with me on prayer time and throughout the week. And um, this week I've been thinking about what's the voice of the Holy Spirit sound like? Like, how do I know if I'm hearing the Holy Spirit? Um, and God says, the more you spend time with me, the more you'll know my voice. Um, and so this week I was driving to work and um, I was thinking about Lania and I could hear her voice. Um, and it said, like, I just close my eyes and I can just, I can he you know, even read a letter from someone, you can hear them saying it. Um, so it said, I will trust in the Lord. All his ways are good and his word will endure forever. When I am weak, he is strong. He is a good father and will comfort his children. And I can hear Linnea's voice because I spent time with her. Um, and that's an encouragement. When we spend time with the Holy Spirit, we can learn to hear his voice. And so, John, guys, Molly, Ethan, I, you know your mom's voice. You can hear it. Close your eyes at night and listen to it. You will remember it forever. And we all will remember it, too, so... Thank you. Um, we love you guys. Uh, Linnea made this for me. And I'm guessing there's probably a lot of people in here that have something that Linnea has made. And um, there's just a few things that come to mind when I think of her. First, when I became an elder at Deer Run in the back of the gym, she came right up after they announced it and hugged me and said, um, I don't agree with women being elders, but it's nothing personal. <laughs> against you. It's not against you. I'm so sorry. It's not against you. And gave me a big hug. And, and I appreciated her honesty, but I also um, just loved that she was going to be for me no matter what. And then Kim had mentioned um, Monday night just how often she prayed for the elders and for unity. And so, I mean, I think it was seven years ago that I got that hug from her. And to see how she um, settled in to having women as elders and also championed Marilyn and I throughout the years. And so then the second thing, there are two people in this congregation that I think I've been hugged by more than anybody, and that's Ron and Linnea. And I was driving to work on Tuesday, and I was thinking about um, heaven, and I was so struck by the image of Ron hugging Linnea um, and welcoming, welcoming her into the kingdom. And I just thought, man, what a party we're going to have, like, when we get to join them 
and it just gave me a lot of hope. Like, I know I get to go spend eternity with Jesus, but I got a lot of comfort knowing that someday they're going to hug us as we enter, and they're going to say, you are loved, and I love you, and um, that was just a really hopeful moment. So I've known Lania a long time, and I think I knew her first as a mom because I had Ethan and Molly when you were very little, and Lania worried about you and would always ask how it went, what we talked about. So I know from a very, very young age, she prayed for you guys a lot, and she'd let me know that as a teacher, no pressure. When you're <laughs> um, then there's been some times I've gotten to be with her in a small group or SFG, and I knew her as a woman who loved God and just craved to know him better, um, who would ask questions, who was really curious what other people's thoughts were. But um, as Kim said, in most recent years, I've known her as a woman of prayer. Um, and that started, I can't remember which small group it was. I just remember being struck I think it was when we were talking about what was emotionally healthy spirituality or, or something along those lines, but her talking about actually going into a small room to pray and that being a daily practice and being so in awe of that because you knew it was true, right? Like this is how she lived. So it's been an honor and a privilege to get to pray with her in the prayer group in the mornings and when I found out that she had died, um, I had to work on Monday, and so whenever I could get a break from work, because I work from home, I'd uh, take that moment to kind of grieve and try to get myself back together. And at one point, um, my husband, Stephen, asked me, do, do you want to pray for Linnea? And he's not someone that usually asks that. <laughs> so I said yes. I don't know what to pray. I thought that was, in fact, a kind of a strange question, but I have strong um, thankfulness that our God is infinite, so I felt like it gave me an opportunity to have a little bit of closure to pray for what's already happened, um, and I think the Holy Spirit gave me words, but as the day went on, that question stuck with me. Do you want to pray for Linnea? And it kind of transferred to a different meaning of, she prayed so much for us. She prayed so much for John and for Ethan and for Molly. Um, just as Kim said, I can't think of a time she said a prayer for herself when we prayed. She would ask for prayer, but her heart was in praying, what can I pray for you about? And so when that question shifted, I thought, oh my gosh, there's a void. Who's going to pray for Lania in her place? I mean, I think she's speaking on our behalf. She's, I mean, there's probably like no one can stop her from advocating for us <laughs> in the kingdom. But I think that's, that's going to be my response. That's our charge. I, I, funny about the, the term prayer warrior because warrior just doesn't, but she was a pray, she was a faithful woman of prayer. She was a prayer. And I just feel compelled and encourage all of you 
that we can all step in and continue to pray, continue that ministry that Linnea modeled for us and started for us. Um, I will and am continuing to pray for, for you guys, for Molly and for Ethan and for John and for this congregation. Um, but I encourage and invite you all to step into prayer as well. Um, I remember Monday morning when I woke up, um, I didn't have school. I woke up at like 12 because I'm a teenager. And um, I came downstairs and I just, I sat on the couch. I was like, it's just a normal Monday. And my mom was sitting there and she turned to me and she goes, Katie, Linnea passed away last night. And the only thing I could do was nothing. Like, I just didn't say anything for like a minute because... As Marianne was saying, I was one of the, I was one of the kids in the room that Linnea would always share um, her love for everyone, and she would always tell us how loved we are. And I always remember, sorry, um, coming into church, and after service, I'd go talk to her, and she'd touch your arm and say, "I'm thinking of you," and it was just very powerful. <laughs> hearing as a child still am that somebody loves you so much and so my prayer to everyone in this room is no matter what when talking to Linnea she always said something positive um no matter how bad the chemo was you'd say how's how's your day going she'd be it's great like even if she felt awful she was always so positive about it so with whatever you do end on a positive note because that's what Linnea does I will miss Linnea's uh, sweet smile, her southern accent, that always made my day, <clears throat> her faithfulness in Jesus, her deep, deep faithfulness in Jesus, and her love for people. And as Katie said, I, I especially... Um, Remember her love for children. Uh, Jody and I were blessed to be in this church uh, community with uh, Linnea. And I will always remember the way she loved little children uh, just like her Savior does. You cannot quantify the value of another adult who loves Jesus pouring um, into children. And our, our children will be forever blessed uh, by her love and investment in them. I want to thank you, John, for your leadership. Um, Psalm 34, 15 says, 
The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. And I just appreciate um, John and, and Linnea, just there, as, as it's been said many times, how much they sought prayer and just your example to bring this church family uh, into what you were going through. And I'm so thankful. And uh, I could not think of a better example of leadership than someone who seeks God's face no matter what they're going through. So John and Ethan and Molly, I just want you to know that you're not alone. Uh, and this family's here for you, and we will always be here for you. Like everyone has said, I really respected and um, felt encouraged by Linnea's faith. Um, but there are a couple other things about Linnea that I really appreciated. One was her vulnerability. You know, we walked with her um, for a decade while she and her family battled cancer. But she also um, was vulnerable with other areas of her life. Um, if you were ever in a small group with her, she... Um, continued to seek the Lord in other areas as well. So I think the cancer could have overwhelmed her life in a way that that was all she could think of, but that didn't happen for her. Um, the other thing about Linnea, she was really funny. Um, there were a lot of times in our SFG where she was really quiet. Um, and then at the end, she would either say something so funny that we would just laugh um, or she would say something so wise in a sentence that wrapped up our whole like hour and a half discussion. Um, and we were like, why didn't you just say that at the beginning? So um, I just want Ethan and Molly to know that their mom was funny too, because that is a part of her that not everyone got to see all the time, but she was really funny as well. I can second the funny. Linnea said some really funny things to me um, over the years. And what was funny about it is that she would often have some conversation with me and then be back two or three minutes later to say, oh, I really hope I didn't offend you. I really didn't mean that that way. I hope you know what I meant. So she was very funny. <laughs> um, so like all many of you have been blessed to know Linnea for lots of years. Um, In addition to knowing her here, I also had the privilege of being a community Bible study with her. 
for a few years. And I believe it was this spring after her diagnosis that she shared her testimony. at community Bible study. Now that was almost 10 years ago, so I don't remember all of the details. Um, but what I do remember is Linnea sharing her story and sharing how deeply she longed to trust God and honor him for whatever was to come. None of us knew how many years she would battle this disease. But I can tell you that since then, I've heard Linnea share her testimony at least two times in this church. And that each time she shared, there was more depth, there was more maturity as she leaned into Jesus moment by moment, day by day. She fully depended on him and believed that God was good despite all she had been through. While this disease took a toll on her body, it brought her closer to her Savior. I will miss Linnea's hugs and her smiles and her saying, I love you, Jody." I will miss the joy in her face when she held babies in the nursery or sang them a song. I'll miss the funny things she said and her laughter. But I can be confident of this, that she is now made whole again and is rejoicing with her Savior. And in that, I find a lot of peace. John, thank you for the way you loved Alinea through the last 10 years and before that, of course. And for the way you stood by her, you supported her, you encouraged her, and you just continued to pray for her. And that was just a really beautiful thing. And Ethan and Molly, well, I know that over the last 10 years, there's a lot of things your mom wanted to do with you that she wasn't able to. I think the most beautiful thing that she left you was the perfect way she modeled a life surrendered to Jesus. And I hope that as you grow older, you'll look back and that's the thing that you'll carry with you. be the person I am today without Miss Linnea. She told me to be kind and loving and so much more. She's just a beautiful example of God's great creation. I love the Lord so much because of her.
I wasn't going to say what I felt like the Lord prompted me, but Bella wanted me to come up and help her, so I'm already here. It's mine as well. Um, you know, Megan and I <clears throat> joined this congregation seven and a half years ago, and, you know, clearly didn't know a lot of people uh, when we first came here. And of all the people that I can specifically remember being sought out after and being encouraged by and having no relation, no reason to be loved or appreciated or encouraged was Linnea. This person came up and gave me a hug and told them they loved me and asked me how they could be encouraging me. And I was like, I looked at me and I was like, I don't even know who that was, <laughs> right? <laughs> because of how much she loved the people in this congregation and wanted to encourage them. And that is a, an amazing gift to be able to look at somebody else and be able to see the same kind of love and appreciation, encouragement, and uh, depth of care that God sees um, just because we are who we are. And that came from Linnea from me when I really didn't even know her. I'm very blessed by that. I grew up in house church with John and Linnea, and I remember when, I don't remember how old I was, you know, 10 years ago, 16, uh, when she told us that she had cancer, and I was very upset, <laughs> um, and we were at the Alexander's house, and she was like, it's going to be fine, I'm going to be here for a really long time, and I'm, I didn't understand how she could say that, because I didn't you know, think, you know, have that kind of faith, so, um, and I, th I think just every time, it was a blessing to, like, live with her for the last 10 years, like, it was a miracle that she stayed alive as long as she did, and, uh, blessed to get to know her, and more people got to know her, even while she was sick, um, sometimes I, <laughs> felt uh, discouraged to want to pray for healing because uh, I, I want a sure thing. Um, so to ask for something you know for sure you're not going to get the answer to sometimes seems like a waste of time. Um, but she kept doing it and I want to be a person that asks the Lord for stuff like that. I don't think people know how awesome Linnea is. I mean, like, especially that little thing, like, just inspiring everybody. Like, I think everybody needs to be like your bitches. Like, you see every day. People are hurting all around the world, and they just stop me. Like, just think about how Lania just think everybody's like, it, it would be so much, it be so much better because like, even like, just inspiring me to be.
being better every day. I just want to think that joy and like, it's just awesome. I thought we were going to have more time with Linnea, but I'm so thankful for the years that we did share together, and um, we were in house church together for a long time, and in house church together when she got that diagnosis, and so I think the thing that I'll always remember about Linnea is her strength. For years, they'd be changing up her chemo regimen, and um, you know, getting just disappointing news after disappointing news. And in, in the face of it all, she was so strong. Never doubted God's love for her. So that's what I'll remember about her for sure. What I'm being struck by at the moment is the choices that Linnea made. She chose to show up. She chose to pray. She chose to trust. She chose to pour into the lives of everybody she saw. She's not perfect. None of us are. And close-up family knows no one's perfect. And the dichotomy of the, the gracious, lovely person and the struggles that the Lord allowed in her life and that he walked her through um, sometimes are hard to balance. Um, I'm learning to um, acknowledge the sorrow in one hand and the joy in the other. And um, it's a hard thing. I'm just so, I mean, I, I'm going to stop, except that I'm just so grateful for the choices she made. She taught us a lot. She chose to believe and to trust and to pour into others and be a good example. <laughs> I'm grateful. Um, I also was in house church with Linnea and her family um, when I was a kid and a few things I've been reflecting on this week is I also remember the, the night that she told us about her diagnosis and I was so confused because she was like, everything's going to be good. And she was like giving everyone hugs and was like, how are you? How are you? And I was, I, it just like didn't make sense to me. And another thing was I, I'm not a big hugger, but, um, Every week at House Church, you get, like, the most giant squeeze from Linnea. And for a while, I was always like, oh, no, <laughs> here she comes. But she really, uh, I, I learned to love them. And, um, like, anytime I saw her, um, I, would, I would, like, desire a hug from her um, just because it was, I think, I, now I'm understanding, like, I think it came from just, like, an overflow. She was always had an overflow of Jesus in her, and that was one way she got it out, was to squeeze you so hard. So, um, yeah, she, she just brought a lot of joy everywhere she went. Thank you all for your courage to share. Um, it blesses our community, and I hope 
John and Molly and Ethan uh, so much. Um, yeah, I just want to lead us in towards communion now. What do we do with all of our tears and all of our pain? We take them to the cross. And it's not just, the cross is not just where we go with our sin, where we feel like we failed, where we feel like we've rebelled, where we feel like we've done wrong. Uh, the cross is where the Lord took on pain, where he took on death, our last enemy, Paul says, that threatens us, um, that terrifies us, that weighs us down, that drapes on our existence. The Lord took that on and invites us to come before the Lord in confession, not just of our sin, but of our frailty, of the various ways we respond to our frailty, and most of all, our dependence on the Lord in the face of that frailty. It's a dependence that he uh, met us in and has uh, overwhelmed us with assurance that death will not ever have the last word.